Um, all right, we're in this series called Fight Club. Let me pray and just ask God to, uh, to help us. I have no idea what time I'm supposed to be done, so I'm just going to talk until I don't feel like talking anymore. You poor people. Um, let's pray. God, we love you, and uh, God, we just sung these amazing truths about you, uh, about all the things that you can do. And so, God, we start with that confession, just believing and leaning into um, who you are and what you can do. And, uh, God, we, we really need to hold on to that and hold that in our hearts tonight just as we start this series, um, God, about looking at our sin and looking at the things that just ensnare and entangle and, God, weigh us down. And uh, I thank you that you are a freedom-bringing God. And so we are just praying for freedom tonight. And God, that freedom uh, does not come uh, because I'm preaching. God, it, it doesn't come just because we all decided to come here tonight. It, that freedom only happens uh, if you, by your spirit, move um, and by your spirit set us free. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And would we have a supernatural awareness of your presence and your power, Jesus? I want to invite you in the room, and you might not be a praying person. You might not be a Christian. That's fine. I just want to invite you just to pray a very simple prayer uh, tonight, and that is that, God, would you just speak to me? And, God, let me, let me hear it. Just all the distractions, all the noise, all the, just the stuff that's kind of swirling around in, in my head and in my heart. God, would you just cut through all that? And God, would you just speak to me and let me hear you? So just, just take just a moment and just pray that very simple prayer. And I'm going to ask uh, just that you would pray for me. And that you would just ask God to speak to me and, and through me. Jesus, we love you and um, we want to see you tonight. So God, do what only you can do and uh, just show up. This is your night. This is all about you. I love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to share with you briefly tonight uh, some principles that were laid out for me. There was another pastor that I heard teach a lot of this stuff. So not all of this is original with me, but it's stuff that's been extremely helpful for me just as I've kind of personally waded through this. And I really do believe that no matter what stage of life you're in, and I, you know, I just mentioned that uh, some of you are in the room, are you walk with God, you walk with Jesus, and some of you are kind of like exploring what that might even look like. And some of you, you just got dragged here because your friend's like, hey, do you want to come to this thing? You, you think maybe now you think you're in like some kind of cult meeting. Um, it's not. Uh, so you can breathe. It'll be all right. Um, but no matter kind of where you are and kind of like the spectrum of life, I think what tonight will be really, really, uh, it could be a game changer if you can uh, apply it. Um, one of the reasons that I love kind of speaking or spending time with young adults so uh, much is that you guys can do something that I cannot do, um, and that is you can avoid all the tragic mistakes that I didn't avoid in my life. And you have an opportunity uh, to set your life 
on a way different trajectory than the trajectory that my life took, which was trending downward for a long time. Um, so you have the opportunity to do that. And if you can em kind of employ some of these things uh, and some of these principles that we're going to look at tonight, it's going to help you to so clearly see this topic and provide a framework for you uh, to really work through this and to experience freedom in the places that maybe you haven't experienced freedom before in your life. And so I, I, the topic that we're going to look at tonight is this topic of, of appetites. Uh, we're going to look at our appetites tonight. And what's going to be kind of fun uh, in this series for you is that we're actually looking at a couple of Old Testament stories. So Old Testament is the first half of your Bible. Old Testament stories to kind of illustrate uh, some of the principles that you're going to hear in this in this series. So appetites are a piece of our life that we really don't pay that much attention to. But what you do with your appetites and how you deal with your appetites has uh, the potential to determine, not just influence, but the, the, the potential to determine outcomes in your life. So the way that you manage and handle and deal with your appetites has the potential to determine outcomes in your life. Like you can rule your appetites or you can be ruled by your appetites. And as followers of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in you, you have the potential to rule over them. So the first principle, if you're a note taker person, the first principle is that your appetites will either rule you or, you'll, or be, be ruled by you. And th the reason that that's important is because you really just don't have any idea how powerful your appetites really are. Your parents, if you think about this, and I don't know what kind of home life everybody comes from, but your parents are where they are today based on how well they manage their appetites. Some, some of you have had parents that were just off the job with you because of their appetite with alcohol. Some of you had a terrible relationship or experience with your parents because of their appetite for, for drugs. And you don't understand kind of why they had to leave when you were a kid, but you just know there was something that was ruling over them and something that kind of pulled them away from, from you. For, for some of you, uh, some of your deepest pain comes not from a decision that you made, but because of how somebody else in your life managed their appetite. That's how powerful appetites are. In, in the world that I'm in, in the church world stuff, there are more leaders who flame out or lose influence, not because of bad theology but or not being good at what they do, but because they were ruled by their appetites. The second principle is this. Your response to your appetites determines the direction and the quality of your life, and they will always be a factor in everything you deal with and in every relationship that you have. This might sound like I'm being dramatic, like I'm overstating, but if you could talk to people who are 10 years down the road from you, 20 years down the road from you, 30 years down the road from where you are now, they would tell you this is absolutely true. Now, what am I talking about when we talk about appetites? Because a lot of times when you think appetite, you think like, oh, okay, well, that has to do with food or sex, right? Those are the two things we think, like, that's what, when we're talking about appetite, those would be the two things. But there's actually, there's several appetites. So there's an appetite for progress. Like, how many of you, like, you really want to get better at things? 
great. Two, okay, all right. I was almost really scared for your generation. I was like, nobody cares. That's great. Um, yeah, there's a, that's, a, that's a healthy appetite, a healthy appetite for progress. I want to do better. I want to learn more. I want to get better at the different things I have in my life. There's a, there's a uh, appetite for responsibility. How many of you, you want to have more responsibility? You want, like, your boss, you want somebody to recognize, hey, you did really well with this thing. I'm going to give you more things to do, and you can continue to kind of climb some kind of ladder, and there's just, like, more that's to it. We, we honestly, all of us kind of, have this, uh, even if we wouldn't say it out loud, um, it, it's so interesting, older people that I always talk to, uh, hey, how is your life, how are things going, and th there's almost a consistent thing almost every single time, and they say, well, I'm just really busy. Very few people that I talk to will be honest and say, you know what, I honestly have like nothing going on in my life. Like, nobody wants to say that, because nobody wants to be like, yeah, I just don't have anything going on, right? Even my kids, my kids are uh, 12, 10, and 8, and my 8-year-old will be like, that ah, I'm really busy. I was like, Come, dude, you've got a Lego hanging out of your nose. You're not busy. You have nothing going on. Respect, we have an appetite for respect. Like, we want people to ask us our opinion about things. That's a healthy appetite, you know, that we have. Appetite for love, right? So we want to be known and we want to know others at the deepest level we want that unconditional love it, it's kind of tied to acceptance right so the way that god has designed every one of us um is that we are like acceptance magnets you're you're drawn to that and when you don't have that you try to find that through other means so acceptance fame and recognition right we want somebody to know what we've done right hence instagram right we want we want to be recognized we want people to know what we've done my kids uh i mean my two girls are older now they're like 12 and 10 but they still will say hey daddy look at me look at watch me watch me that's the thing like and we honestly kind of all have a part of that in us we have this appetite we're like recognize me watch me look and see what i do um we have uh, an appetite to be envied right like we want people to want what we have um so a, a lot of you don't know my wife uh she's kind of a fox i think uh but one of the most common questions that i get asked is why is she with you um which should bother me more but i actually kind of in a sick way uh kind of like it because i was like hey i got something you wish you had right it's weird, but that's, <laughs> we, we have an appetite to be en envied. And then we have an appetite for, like, things, you know. Like, so Apple knows this, which is why they're constantly coming out with the same product that looks like a different product. And you're like, got to have that, right? The good news and the bad news about appetites is that they're really never going to go away. There's three things I want you to real quick know about appetites, and we're going to get into our text this morning. Or right now. What time is it? tonight um three things to know about appetites one uh god created them and sin distorted them so all the things i just listed there are not necessarily bad things they're not necessarily evil things but we get evil with those things so in the book of genesis if you're not familiar with the, the scriptures god uh, creates man and woman puts them in this garden gives them everything that they could ever want companionship with him companionship with one another food to eat, 
the opportunity to cultivate and to create, to subdue the earth, all from God. Sin breaks that um, and, and breaks that relationship. And so God created them with appetites. Sin distorts that. The next thing to know is that appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Have you ever uh, sat down, eaten a big meal, and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's no way like I could ever eat another thing? Get up, walk over to the fridge, you're like, oh, ice cream. I, could, I guess I could eat one more thing, right? So it just it kind of happens. It's like Chinese food. It's like you just, I just like ate a whole bunch of it, and now how is it 15 minutes later I'm still hungry? I don't understand how that works. And the same thing is true of things like money and sex and power and progress and recognition. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And it's because, it's because you can never be satisfied in a person, place, or thing outside of Jesus. This is the message of the scriptures. You can never, uh, you can never find what your heart really desires at the deepest level outside of um, of Jesus. You can look for another person. It's not going to satisfy in the way that Jesus can. You can look for, you can move to another place. It's not going to satisfy. You can get more stuff. It's not going to satisfy. Uh, so your heart will never be satisfied. And then lastly, appetites always whisper now and never later. Appetites always whisper now and never later. And they make you trade the ultimate for the immediate. They make you trade what's what you ultimately want for what is immediately accessible in front of you. Here's why all this matters. Here's why this series matters, okay? If you have this picture of God, that God has just, like, created this book of rules to constrict or to, like, kind of make your life smaller, you have the wrong picture and the wrong view of God. And I hope that you stick through this series, and I hope that you see this. Because God is a God who really wants your freedom. So the scripture says, for freedom... Christ has set you free, Galatians 5, so don't turn again to a yoke of slavery. God is for your freedom. Like, you see that through the scripture. God is for the freedom of his people. Your appetites are what make you a slave. And the reason that it's important to know this is because slaves have little opportunity, little to no opportunity. Freedom brings opportunity and it's an opportunity to be used by God and to experience him in an incredible way. Okay, open your Bible, Genesis chapter 25. So if you have a Bible, Genesis is right up front. If it's on your phone, just go to the Bible app or whatever you're using there. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to look at two guys just real quick. We're going to look at two guys. Their names are Jacob and Esau. And we're going to discover a really powerful principle um, that can help us to keep our appetites in check. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with these two characters, let me just kind of tell you a little bit about them. They're, they're twin brothers, actually. Uh, Esau was born first, and Esau is like a man's man kind of guy. He's a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. He's very hairy. He's like a Duck Dynasty kind of guy. I don't know if you remember that show. Uh, he's like that kind of guy. Jacob, a little bit different, more of kind of like an interior decorator kind of dude. Uh, likes to cook, kind of a mama's boy, loves HGTV. That's Jacob. Um, and Esau is the oldest, but just by a little bit. In fact, when they were uh, being born, Jacob reached for his brother Esau's heel. And so his, 
kind of nickname was Heel Grabber. His, na- his name means deceiver. Uh, and if you follow kind of with the story, you'll get to see uh, why. And at the center of the story that we're going to look at here is this thing called the birthright. So in this time and in this culture, the eldest son would receive uh, the inheritance, which would be Esau because he was born first. And with this inheritance, it was a really big deal because it w- with it would come uh, twice as much money as your siblings would get. Um, and also you got to be like the judge of your family. So there was like a great deal of power that came with this birthright. And then there was this also this kind of sense of like a multi-generational blessing from God. So you got money, power, blessing from God. So the birthright that belongs to Esau is a really, really big deal. And Jacob wants the birthright, but it's like virtually impossible for him to have the birthright because he's not the firstborn son. Okay, so that's kind of the drama of what's going on back here. So Genesis chapter 25, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 29. One day, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob was cooking some stew, and Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. That's how he talks. Give me some of that red stew. Meatloaf. We want it. Uh, This is why I never get asked to come here. All right. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right. So if you've got uh, if you've got siblings, you know that older siblings never want anything from their younger siblings. So when they do, the younger siblings know to take advantage of the opportunity. So what's the most valuable thing that the older brother has? Esau wants the stew, and so Jacob starts to think, okay, I can see this dude, he's hungry, he seems pretty irrational, uh, and what could I get from him for the stew? So look at verse 31. Uh, All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your right as the firstborn son. Do Do you get what's happening here? Esau comes in starving. Jacob is, has the stew. He's like, give me that stew. I'm starving. I'm dying. I'm so hungry I could die is literally what he's trying to say here. And Jacob's like, all right, I'll give you some of the stew. Give me your inheritance. Give me all the money and the power and the position. Oh, and the blessing from God, like multi-generational blessing from God. Now, pause. Who in their right mind, would trade all of that stuff for a bowl of stew? The answer is you. You might. Some of you might be doing that, like, with your life right now. Some of your parents traded a relationship with you for their bowl of stew, which was pill or a bottle or a relationship with another man or another woman or something or someone that's not even in the picture anymore. And they traded that, they traded that relationship with you for, for whatever that was. They traded years with you for something that's not even around anymore. So the answer is you might. Some, some of you, e- even right now, you're not even paying attention to how you're tearing your family apart. 
You're not even paying attention to how you're tearing your future apart because you're trading what's immediately accessible for the ultimate thing because your appetite is ruling you. And people do this all the time. That's, I did that with my life. And I don't want you to do it with yours. Look at verse 32. Esau's dramatic. He says, look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? So in, the, in this moment, Esau loses sight of how important the birthright is. So, and, there, and there's actually studies. So like this is, if you're not a Bible person, you're not kind of connected to this, you, you need to know like the Bible is incredibly relevant and, and it's real. Um, there's studies that back this up. So psychologists tell us that when an appetite gets stimulated and accentuated, there are actually physiolog physiological changes that happen in your brain. There's something called impact bias, which means you take a simple appetite, like here Esau is hungry, and you magnify it out of proportion. I'm so hungry I could die, right? So this happens every time you go shopping. <laughs> Every time you go shopping, I have to have that. I need to have that. That If I buy that, it's going to bring me recognition or pleasure, right? And so your brain tells you, hey, that person that you want to be with, that experience that you want to have will be extraordinary. It will be better than you can imagine. And then what happens? Buyer's remorse, right? So, like, you buy the shoes, you buy the car, you buy the video game, whatever it is. You get it, and then you get the bill, or you go to pay for it, and you're immediately like, why did I do that, right? So Amazon kills me over this all the time. Because you saw it, and it's presented in such a way that your brain says, you have to have that. So there's this impact bias. The other thing that happens in these moments when appetites get accentuated is something called focalism. So your focus is your mind, and it blurs out everything else. So, ladies, think back to the time when you had your very first crush, right? It was all you could think about. Guys, think about when you have to buy tires. It's like the same kind of thing. It happens in your brain, right? You, you're, like, myopic. I can't think of anything else. And it's like all I can notice, and it just seems to like jump out at you all the time. It's because your brain actually changes when an appetite is inflamed. So do you see how, do you see how dangerous this can be? Do you see how important this is to know about? All right, let's finish, let's finish the story. Verse 33. But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Now, if I had the opportunity to kind of like show up in this story, this is the moment that I would like just love to like appear. And I would just kind of like show up right in the middle of this transaction thing that's going to happen. And I'd be right there and I'd say, Esau, I'm from the future. Hence the shoes. There's something really important, dude, that you need to know. Before you do this, you need to know that you're going to have 12 sons, and they'll have families, and they're going to become this massive nation. 
and, and God, they're going to be God's chosen people. And a guy named Moses will be introduced to God. And when God introduces himself, he will say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. God, when he introduces himself, will mention you unless you trade your birthright for a bowl of soup right now. And then 2,000 years from now, God, through your lineage, will send his son so that the people of earth have the potential to be saved and put back together with God. Now, Esau, Esau, focus. I know you're hungry. Focus. Do you want to trade all of that for a bowl of soup? And I think the knowledge of what God could have done through Esau would have changed his mind and his actions. But obviously, I wasn't there. And in your life, somebody might not be there at that moment for you. You have no idea. Th th another reason I just get so like geeked about the opportunity to come and share is because there's so much potential in front of you. And you just have no idea what God would do through you if you will surrender your appetites to him and embrace the freedom that comes from being wholly and completely satisfied in Jesus. Don't trade your future for a bowl of soup. Verse 34. Then Jacob saw Esau. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. And Esau ate the meal and got up and left. And this, this verse is so sad. And he showed contempt for his right as the firstborn. He ate. He drank. The stew was gone. But so was his birthright. And his destiny, his future, was changed because of an appetite that he couldn't harness. Okay, so I want to get real practical. We're just about done here. But I want to give you some real practical steps because how do we address this? How do we, how do we fight? Or at least how do we start to fight? You need, to, um, you need information to make informed decisions. In the words of G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle, right? So you need to be first a student of your behaviors. It's, it's the first step to successfully fighting them. So if you've got, if in your mind as you're thinking about this series Fight Club, and you're thinking about behaviors or patterns or actions or attitudes that you have that you're like, it's out of control. I just have, that's the thing I want to change. That's the thing I want God to change in my life. The first thing you need to do is actually identify what behaviors, what practices, what attitudes do I want to change and analyze just the nature of your temptation. So James, who is the brother of Jesus, writes this in James chapter 1. He says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. He's using this kind of like, birthing imagery and he's like you're pregnant you're giving birth and the kid's name is death so he's taking james is kind of doing something kind of cool here he's taking like this life cycle imagery but it's saying it's going to end up in death we all in this room all of us myself included have things that we're all wrestling with habits addiction sin and it all according to james begins with a desire 
an appetite that gets inflamed, which we call temptation, and it ends in death, James says. And we engage in something that we think, that we think is going to relieve pain. We think it's going to bring pleasure, feel good, and maybe, maybe it does for a little bit. Most likely, it does, or else we wouldn't keep doing it. But that leads us ultimately to a place that we didn't want to be. It's because sin always takes you further than you wanted to go, costs you more than you wanted to spend, and keeps you way longer than you wanted to stay. That's the path that it takes you on. It begins with temptation. When the lure gets your mind's attention, you start thinking about it. It begins to entice you and stirs your affections because we are wired that way. Because what you think about is what you care about, and what you care about is what you chase. What you think about is what you care about. What you care about is what you chase. It's what you move toward. So, very simply, think about what you think about. Think about what you Think about, be a student of yourself. It's, a, it's the first step. If you really want to get serious about this, if you really want to get serious about this like fight club stuff, think about what you think about. Be a student of yourself. What do you entertain in your mind? And, and, and you have to be careful. And we, we prayed for you uh, before 710 tonight in this. Because so often what happens for so many of us is that we start this process, and maybe it's kind of already hit you even when you saw like what the series is. Because when you start in this process of like identifying like what are the behaviors, what are the actions, what are the habits, what are the attitudes that I want to change, what hits you right away? Shame. And you're like, oh man, I'm definitely not coming back. I cannot sit through getting beat up for like three weeks in a row. I'm not going to do that. So be careful because shame will short circuit the process of what God wants to lead you in, in freedom in these things. And you have to you have to preach to that shame. If you're a Christian, you remember that shame has been handled on the cross. So my past doesn't define me. The cross does. And the love of God over you as his son or daughter speaks a better word than that shame. So as you start in this process, disarm the shame by preaching the gospel to it. And be curious of what you pursue and why you pursue what you do without condemning your own life. Be curious about yourself without condemning your own life. So the first step is, what is the behavior, the practice, the sin, the attitude that I don't want to have? And, and listen, if you want to get serious about this and you want to do yourself a favor, get specific as possible. Is it, I overspend, I overeat, it's pornography, it's gossip, it's lying, I drink too much, I scroll too much on my phone. Get ruthlessly specific and honest with yourself about what is the thing that you want to change. So the first thing is identify it. The second thing is identify what is the, what's the belief behind the behavior. What do I believe this behavior will, will give me? We all have this kind of internal monologue that happens when we are in these uh, behaviors or addictions or patterns uh, or, or sin. We either tell ourselves, look, I've had a really hard day. I've had a really hard month. I've had a really hard couple years. <laughs> I deserve this. Or this is not that bad. Or at least I'm not as bad as somebody else. Or this feels good. And you have this kind of internal monologue that you tell yourself. That you, you, belie you have beliefs 
behind your behavior. And so you have to identify, what am I believing about this behavior? And then lastly, consider the background. So what is the behavior? What is my belief about that behavior? And then what's the, what's the background? My kids have been trying to teach me how to play the uh, board game Clue. I absolutely suck at this game because you have to pay attention. And I just, I, I get beat all the time. But Clue, the way that Clue works is that there's a person in an environment doing a thing with an object, right? Colonel Mustard in the library with the candlestick killing Mrs. Blueberry or whoever. I don't know what it is, right? So the question that you have to ask, the question that you have to ask, what surrounds me when I'm in the behavior or practice or sin that I want to change? There are cues in your environment that kickstart your craving. Uh, I'm a, my degree's in marketing, and there's a concept in marketing called choice architecture. And the idea is that a marketer or someone in sales or someone in advertising wants to architect or create a, uh, a pathway for you to make a certain decision. So the end caps, like if you ever go to grocery stores, so end caps at the end of aisles, companies pay premium, premium dollar to have their product on that. In fact, Coca-Cola makes 45% of all of their sales worldwide based off of occupying an end cap because they know they have forced you into a position in a place where they put that in your field of vision so you have to go buy that product. You live in a world that's constantly trying to architect for you to make certain choices. And you uh, can be the own architect of your environment or you can be the victim of it. So don't position yourself where the enemy has an advantage. So the question is, what's the, what's the pattern of behavior or thoughts that always leads to the outcome? There was a guy when I was in 710, I was counseling, he was coming to me, he was just talking about his relationship with his girlfriend. He was like, man, he's like, dude, every time I'm at my girlfriend's apartment late at night and it's just the two of us, every time we start watching a movie on the couch late at night, it just always ends up in some kind of like sexual sin. I mean, it's just like every time, what do I do, man? I'm like, well, maybe don't go there late at night on the couch when no one else is around movie. I mean, he's telling me, he's like, yeah, we just, every time it's the same thing. We do the same thing. I was like, how, mix it up a little bit. How about not doing that? Some of you, some of you, your habit is you just start scrolling on one app, and then maybe it gets to like another app, and then another site. And those feelings of comparison or stress or insecurity or worse puts you in a cycle of shame, guilt, embarrassment. Some of you, after a, a day of class or work, you're like, you know what? I'm going to have one drink just to relax. One drink turns into four drinks, six drinks, eight drinks. I don't know how much you can drink, right? And then I'm lonely texting, snapping. I don't know if we still do that. Is that still with us? Snapchat still with us? Apparently not. You didn't really respond to that. Okay, right? And it just leads to this pattern. You have a consistent pattern where this one activity leads to a certain outcome. 
So you need to eliminate the moment. You need to eliminate the moment. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 26. He says this, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus is doing something very brilliant, very interesting here. He's pointing out where to start fighting. He doesn't say, watch and pray that you may not sin, which is usually kind of what happens to us. Like we usually go all the way through with whatever our addiction is or our sin is or our behavior or pattern, and then it's time for prayer. But what Jesus is saying, no, 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 watch and pray at the moment of temptation. Eliminate the moment. The moment the thoughts and affections are being stirred, Jesus is saying, watch yourself. That's temptation. The moment that those things are being stirred up. So eliminate the moment. Okay. So here is, here's the exercise uh, if you want to get serious about being in the fight club. No one talks about fight club, right? Here's, here's, a, here's an exercise for this week for you. Write out a forensic report on your temptation. Here's what I mean by that. Write down the answer to these questions and be just ruthlessly honest with yourself, okay? What behavior do I want to see change? And again, make it honest. Don't like dress it up. Don't make up some church word that's not a real thing. Call it what it is. Call it exactly what it is. What do I believe about that habit and, that, and what it will bring me? And then lastly, what is, what's in the background? Like what environmental factors contribute to me repeating? And then once you, once you do that, once you take that, write it on a piece of paper, write it in a journal, you can keep it in your phone if you want to, and then put it aside. Don't beat yourself up over it because you took a good first step. So let it be. And then pray. And, and pray and thank God for the way that he loves you unconditionally and the way that he does not treat you or see you by the things that are written on that paper and how he desires freedom for you and ask him to change you. And then, and then if you have somebody that you trust, share it with one trusted friend. Take that forensic report share with one trusted friend. I want to I end um, with, with this because some of you, you're listening to all this stuff and you're like, man, I think I've already like spent my birthright. Like I could have used this like message about the stew probably like six years ago, maybe longer. Um, I want to share a truth with you that has really helped shape my life because my one of the reasons that I think God's like really tethered my heart to this age stage is because I just made such an absolute dumpster fire of my life pretty much from 17 through 25. Um, and there's a passage in, a, in the book of Joel in chapter 2 that's really helped me kind of in this. Uh, it's, it's God's prophetic promise of restoration. So uh, Joel, the prophet Joel, he's calling the people of Judah and he's calling the people of Jerusalem to lament and to return to God during this time of national calamity. I mean, the people of God always kind of found themselves in a time of national calamity. But there's, it's just a real mess for them, including this infestation of locusts 
um, which in that day, it's all an agrarian society, right? So everything they eat, they grow. And these locusts have come in and just absolutely like destroyed everything, um, uh, including all the grain and the wine. And listen to what, what, listen to what Joel chapter two says. The threshing floors will be full of grain and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Now here's, here's the verse for you. If you are in this room tonight and you think, man, I think this is just too late for me because I've already like blown it and I really don't see any way back or it's just too complicated. It's too much of a mess. I've shipwrecked just so much already of my life. Listen to this. Then I will make up to you or I will repay you, says the Lord, for the years that the swarming locust has eaten the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army, which I sent you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. God's promise to his people, I will repay what's been eaten up. So, the band's going to come and we're going to close. But I want you to spend just some serious time. And I, I'm going to hang out later on if you want to talk through any of this stuff. Um, but what is it right now? Like what's the bowl of stew for you? What's the shortcut you're taking? What's the habit? What's the addiction? What's the relationship you need to just get out of? Um, what are you involved in right now that you really wouldn't want anybody else to know about? Because here's the thing, God knows about it, and he loves you. He's a God of restoration. The gospel breaks the curse of generational sin. So if you just feel like, you know what, I'm an addict because my parents were addicts and their parents were addicts, and we just are like a family of addicts. I'm never going to break out of that. It's not what the scripture says. It's not the promise of God over your life. Jesus is a life bringer. Scripture says that he creates beauty from dust and ashes. We just sang it. He resurrects corpses. He breathes life into dry bones. He breaks up stony hearts, and he sets captives free. And if you don't know him, if you don't know him, you can have a conversation tonight with me, with Gabe, Hendricks, Ben, Corey, any of the leaders that are here. Love to just talk through this stuff with you. But for you, for Christian, tonight, it's a good moment for you to look to him, to call out to him to be satisfied in him, to walk in and to live in and out of and to lean into and to breathe in the truth that God is great, he's glorious, he's good, and he's full of grace and mercy and that he's way better. He's just better. Um, let's just, let's do something for a second. Let's just, uh, just bow your head, close your eyes. There's nothing that's necessarily like sacred about that posture, except it does just help us to focus in this. But um, Jonathan, the band, they're going to lead us in a second. I just want to give you just a moment of quiet with just you and God to just do some work with him, to just do business with him. The thing about God is that um, you, you can't lie to him. You can lie to anybody else. You can lie to yourself, but you can't lie to him. And so embrace just the freedom of being fully known 
and fully love. And maybe tonight's just the first step for you to say, you know what, I'm just not going to lie about it anymore. Take a little bit of time. Jonathan and the band will lead us out.